HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Erica Rankin, the founder and chief everything officer at BroDough, a functional cookie dough available in Canada and on D2C. But BroDough is about to launch into new product lines and do so in the US. So for those of you who know her and love her from LinkedIn, we'll all finally have access to the products. Erica also helps people grow their reach on TikTok, LinkedIn, and Instagram through her side hustle, Grow With Erica. And she recently launched a newsletter with Kyle Peters called We Got the Goods. Welcome, Erica. Hey, Ali. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good. It's, I'm, you know, you're, I, I don't know if I'm this way for you, but, you know, when you talk about how you build these communities online and you start to feel like you kind of know the person, even though you've never met in real life. <laughs> like It's a little bit like strange, but I do feel like I know you and I've been kind of deep diving into your life. So I know, I know a lot now and it's, um, it's been fun just sort of learning about you and, and what you're doing. So I'm really happy you're here. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to be here. I feel the same with you. I feel like I know you a lot more and I've never met you. So yeah, the internet's weird. The internet is weird. That's, that's the, that's, I guess the takeaway. Um, so let's talk about sort of like the internet and the obvious, which is that you have built this massive following, um, and community on social media. And because you have a perishable product and a business in Canada, it's almost been like an outsized community for a brand that's had a hard time catching up with the community that, that wants it. And, and I think it's safe to say that now you're figuring out the unlock to kind of match the size of the shoe 
with the size of the foot or whatever the expression would be. Um, does that track for you? And if so, like what has the unlock been and like, what was the process of figuring out, okay, I have this huge group of people that are looking to me for a product. I got to be able to get something to them. Totally. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It's been a huge challenge for me operationally, like these past three years, I guess it's been, but it feels like a hundred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I, I'm really good at marketing. That's my strong suit and making noise and building community and, you know, operations has never been my strong point. Um, and I brought in the necessary help to kind of fill in that gap to help pivot the company and create a product that more people can order and have access to. And that's more scalable because that was the issue with our current product is mm-hmm. made in Canada. It's refrigerated. Can't ship it across the border. Um, even on TikTok, like close to 60% of the followers on there are US based and they can't even buy the mm-hmm. product. So here mm-hmm. I am putting out all this content um, even on LinkedIn, it's the same majority of the people who follow me or are connected to me are based in the US and right. it's like they want to support, but they can't. So I'm putting in all this effort, um, you know, in the marketing and organic reach and stuff. And it's just not, you know, paying off and I'm not getting the ROI because yeah. I physically like I can't <laughs> ship right. the product yeah. to them. Um, right. So we decided, okay, so how do we bridge the gap? Well, we have to make a product that can be made in the US or shipped to the US easily and doesn't have all these shipping problems. Because mm-hmm. one thing to ship a refrigerated product in Canada when it's cold, like six months out of the year, but then mm-hmm. when you go to like California and Texas and all these really hot yeah. states, there's so many problems that you can run into. So yep. um, I found um, like my friend's a cookie manufacturer in Texas and we're going to launch shelf stable cookies and they're going to be very similar to the dough in terms of like ingredients. Mm. Um, same functional properties like added protein, uh, clean ingredients, no preservatives, gluten-free. Um, so those are going to be available in a few months. And it's just been a lot of learnings, I think over the past, Mm -hmm. I would say like six to 12 months. It's just like, okay, how can I create a product that's more widely consumed as well and, um, is easier to ship. So that's what led us to this. I mean, it's great. And for what it's worth, I think, you know, I, there's, someone, you know, you know how people do this drinking game, like take a shot every time she says da, 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 on whatever show. Like, I feel like for this show, it's like, take a shot every time I reference Miguel Leal, who's like one of my favorite people in the world and a very smart CPG guy. And this is the opportunity to do that because he always says it's very, very hard to build a brand. And the, you know, he worked at Kind Bar, he worked at um, Cholula, he just launched his own brand, a, you know, a year or so ago called Somos. He's worked at some of, you know, Frito-Lay and everywhere kind of. And he said, you know, companies have one of two problems. They either have a brand that's bigger than the business or a business that's bigger than the brand. And you would prefer the, the former, Like you would prefer to have a brand where you can fill in the gaps on the business than to have a really, really big business where you haven't really built a brand because it doesn't retain loyalty. It essentially grows into some sort of a commodity. It's very easy to replicate. Um, So you have the good problem is is the long story short on that. Um, As you know, I think, and it's going to be really fun to see 
now the fruits of all of the labor that you've been putting in, you know, building this community and real pull, um, and, you know, with a product that's actually viable, I can imagine. I mean, we have similar frustrations because we're refrigerated too, and we never had a D2C business and distribution is really hard. Um, Mm -hmm. So we feel kind of similarly, but I always remind myself that what Miguel said. Um, And so, you know, this kind of goes to, you know, what you've done with building this community. I think a lot of CPG founders and operators that I talk to are feeling frustrated at times that celebrities are all over the place. They're no longer really endorsing brands as much as they are wanting to be like co-founders and founding brands. There's a lot of celebrity brands right now. And Mm -hmm. I think people are feeling like our business was hard enough before. Now we're competing for eyeballs and likes and attention with people who have, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. And if you're a celebrity, your cost of acquisition has just gotten significantly harder in the last year. So a lot of people are sort of saying you either need a celebrity to join your team or you need to become the celebrity, which is um, harder than it sounds. And I think in your case, you've really done that. Um, so I'd love to just kind of understand how much of that has been part of the strategy. How much of it do you think has really just helped take something, you know, from an idea that you had, you know, a couple of years ago that you were kind of messing around with to like a real business viability you know, what's happened with investors along the way. I mean, in a way, you're not necessarily like a celebrity celebrity, but you are in, you know, in our ecosystem. So I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that. Right. Yeah. So first off, I love that quote um, that you touched on. Like that's, it's so true. Um, And I never really understood the struggle of like the balance in between the two, like the marketing and operations piece, like they have to Mm -hmm. align. Um, yep. Otherwise, you can't you can't build a business. Um, but yep. to answer your question, man, so you, you asked strategy, like what was my strategy? And I, I didn't really have one. I kind of just been winging it to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when I when I first started the business in 2019, um, like it was a few months before the pandemic, and again, I I had like ten thousand dollars that I invested into it. That's all I had. I was using my car to store product. I was driving around with the heat off in the winter to like keep it Mm -hmm. cold. And then I graduated to like a a freezer in my living room. And that's kind of how scrappy I was um, with the business. So I remember launching the business and, you know, hitting publish on my Shopify site and just waiting and waiting Mm -hmm. for people to come by. And then I started like Googling SEO and what all of that is. And um, marketing. And then I figured out like how much money brands spend on marketing and it blew mm-hmm. my mind. And I was like, well, how am I going to, how am I going to make people find me and like try the product and like get eyeballs on me? I got to do something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the approach that I took was, okay, well, the, something that brands really aren't doing right now is putting a face to the brand. Like there's not really right. that emotional piece to it. There's a very, it's very product focused. 
product faced. So how can I be different? How can I like have some sort of personable feel um, with with the brand? So I just started like talking on my Instagram stories and posting on Instagram, talking to my audience as if I had like 100,000 people following me. And I think mm-hmm. I had like 200. <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, I'm like introducing myself and, you know, and eventually like it slowly built up and I got to really know my customers and I would message them, send them voice notes, videos, stuff like that. Mm. Um, you know, like kind of built out relationships like that. Things that are quote unquote not scalable, right? Um, Mm -hmm. and then from there I went on LinkedIn and I only went on LinkedIn because I needed guidance. I needed a mentor. I needed someone to show me how to take my business to the next level. And in doing that, I found that people were really specifically founders were really only posting shiny stuff, like the Mm -hmm. wins, you know, the fundraising, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So, and here I am like, you know, working out of my apartment and making dough, at night so I can get 30% discount rates at the kitchen and using mm-hmm. my little wagon to deliver orders to FedEx. I just felt like I was doing things so wrong and yeah. I was almost embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. And then I started talking to other founders and we had a lot of common ground. Like they're like, Oh yeah, I did this. Or we would just like connect on like the silly things that we would do for the business and the things that were going wrong and the money struggles and so I just started posting about it. And I think in doing that, it resonated with a lot of people because not many are comfortable sharing that stuff. And right. then I just had this following kind of build itself um, by just posting, um, I guess, my brand building, like I built in public and people could kind of see what it was like to take my product from being made in a commercial kitchen by myself to now having it made by manufacturer and distributed across Canada. So Um, I kind of took people along for the journey and it's really helped me because like, I think, especially when you're a startup, when you're going out to raise or, you know, like you you want people to get on board with your business, um, you have people that are coming on board because of you, they're investing in you. They're not investing in the company, they're investing in you. And I think I kind of built my credibility and showed the resilience through um, the storytelling on social media. And it has been, it hasn't been super easy, but it's been mm-hmm. easier to raise money because um, I've kind of already built the community there. And it's easier to ask for things because I've tried to give so much over these past few years and show people what it's really like to build a business. And I want more and more founders to start doing that. And I think there are a lot more now that are more comfortable sharing like the highs and the lows and the in-betweens, um, not just all the the shiny stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I think one of the things we talk about a lot on here is, you know, people know I, I'm not a big rocket ship LFG kind of gal. And, you know, I don't think it does any of us any good to create um, a narrative that is like, you know, it's really hard, but then you make a zillion dollars and everything's amazing. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that's healthy. I think a lot of people have had some serious mental health issues because of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I do think there's a gender component to it. If, you know, uh, don't go too deep into that, but for sure. Um, you know, I, and I think social media just feels, you know, it's funny because I've never had, I have, I've been on and off of Instagram since 2012, but for the most part, for most of my experience as a founder, I've had no personal social media. My only place where I post anything is LinkedIn. And I will say that it's been incredibly helpful from a, um, 
retailer perspective, um, you know, to the extent that I feel like I've connected with real people in my industry, it's been helpful there. But, you know, I would say most of the time when I'm really suffering or when I feel like something is really not good, I am sort of scared. I do have a scared feeling of being too public about it. Not necessarily because I feel like it's going to make the business look worse, but it's almost like I'm, I don't want it to ever come back to bite me, you know, whether it's a distributor situation or a retailer situation, or just, you know, we're not having a good week or whatever it is. I just have this feeling of, um, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's too vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. what's, what's, Great. I think what you've done is you, you have gone there um, and it hasn't come back to bite you. It seems like, in fact, that very vulnerability is exactly what's propelled you and the brand and sort of set you up for this next phase. But are there any moments where you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have clicked post or, you know, maybe, maybe this is too much? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny because people kind of assume that it's very easy for me. And it yeah. used it was really easy for me at the beginning because I didn't have a following and no one knew who I was. Like I had 12 mm-hmm. connections. And so I would just put stuff out there and be like, you know what, maybe someone's going to see it, maybe not. You know, I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. And then now um, sometimes I do second guess it and I'm like, okay, who's following me? And I kind of overthink things a little bit. But um, what I have done is just, I schedule posts now and once it's locked in, it's locked in and I can't go back. Mm-hmm. I don't go back and change anything, but there have been times for sure where I, you know, like I look back a little bit and I cringe. I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. maybe I shouldn't have cried on the internet. But at the yeah. same time, while it may be cringy for some, um, it can like really resonate with some people who really need it mm-hmm. in that moment. And I think like, that's why I'm here and why I put out that stuff. Like I'm okay with being like a little embarrassed or like awkward about putting something out if it helps a person. Yeah. Cause like I wanted, that's why I went on, like when I went on LinkedIn, I like wanted to see someone who I could like relate to and I could look yeah. up to. And there wasn't really anyone there doing that. So I was like, okay, yeah. well, can I be that for, you know, people mm-hmm. who are like in the same boat or looking to like start entrepreneurship or whatever, can I kind of be that role model for them? Um, and what would that look like? And it is putting up stuff that's like, you know, uncomfortable yeah. and, you know, very vulnerable and makes you feel a little icky sometimes. And yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because I was thinking, you know, I did have an experience where I put something, it wasn't even like that vulnerable, but it was basically, I had gotten like six calls in one week from founder friends who had been just ghosted by potential investors. And this is just not a time where that to me is acceptable. Like it is hard enough doing this business with all of the stuff that's going on in our industry, grocery, shipping, labor, you know, war, famine, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's enough. And if you're not going to be a, a, a viable, you know, investor for a company, please don't reach out. And then if you do reach out and then they engage with you, please do not ghost them. Mm-hmm. And I wrote something sort of like, here's how you can actually be helpful, like give a quick no or, you know, whatever it was. And I did get a call from one of my investors that 
basically he said something along the lines of that I sounded angry um, and that it made me look like that had happened to me. And it was, I, I had that feeling in my stomach where I was like, oh, I'm getting in trouble. And I had that feeling where I like a little shame feeling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then I kind of just said like, A, it does happen to me all the time. Like, and anyone who says it doesn't is lying. And B, like, I, would you be saying angry to to someone else? Like, would you be, if, if I was a 25-year-old dude, would you be saying I sound angry? And would that be bad? You know? And it was an uncomfortable conversation, but it did bring up, you know, it, it was, I think, healthy that we had it. Um, I can't say that I felt great afterward, but I do think that it was, I didn't take it down. I didn't think it was such a big deal, but these things are hard. They're, they're hard to write and they're hard to write when we're supposed to be creating FOMO and creating momentum and everyone wants to back a winner and all of that stuff. You know, have you found that it's changed since last year, just with all the conditions being a little different now than they were? For fundraising, you mean? For, you know, I mean, I'm thinking I feel like there's a lot less kind of chest beating, rocket ship, you know, crushing it nonsense than there was a year ago. Do you feel the same way? Or if I just unfollowed all the people that made me feel that (laughs) way? You know what? I did the same thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I did like a spring, a spring cleaning. Yep. You got to yeah. clean it out. You got to clean it out. Yep. I know. So, and then sometimes yeah. you see a post and you're like, oh, wow, I forgot that, you know. Right. Um, I know. But uh, for sure. Yeah. I think like it is really hard. And I think people have also gotten more comfortable like with COVID and stuff, like sharing all the struggles, whether it be like you know, in our industry specifically, like supply chain and inflation Mm -hmm. and grocery and distribution, like all of these problems. um, Like there's no, there's no um, protection for the small brands. Like we get hit just as hard as the big brands do, which I think is not Mm -hmm. fair at all. I think there's been a lot of um, uh, talk about that online. Like I think more people are coming forward and they're frustrated and um, it's a conversation that's, more common I think versus before it was very surface level so I think it's good I think um like I like the direction that social media is going and it helps me connect with people too like similar to what you said like you put out that post or you talk to um other founders that were dealing with being ghosted by investors like those conversations aren't really had had you not like posted about it or talked about it like I think it's important to bring it up because it happens um and you know, like, I don't think there should be any shame around talking about that either. It's all part of having a business. Like, it's not always going to go well. Things aren't always right. going to fall into place the way that you'd hope. And I think it portrays entrepreneurship as being that when we don't talk about it. And then people yeah. get into it yep. and they're like, damn, this shit sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because we talk about when I first started this show in 2018. I basically was like everyone's biggest cheerleader. Like I had no idea what I was doing. No one I knew really knew. So I was like, I'm just going to interview people who seem to know what they're doing because this can't be that hard. (laughs) And now four years later, I feel like a lot of it is like buyer beware. Like 
I don't know, man. I don't know if you should do this. Like there are so many things that have to align just right for this to work. And I feel terrible because I don't ever want to be, you know, a Debbie Downer or like, you know, dissuade people from, from taking a swing, you know, Mm -hmm. you just got to take a swing knowing these five things and having these five things in your toolkit, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about, you know, pivoting and new products and all sorts of fun things. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Erica Rankin, founder of Brodo. Okay, so, you know, before the break, we were talking about you have this following, you have this community. I'd like to talk a little bit maybe in a minute about the difference between the LinkedIn community and the TikTok community, because I would imagine they're very different. But you needed to build a product that actually could reach all these people that want it. So pivoting away from a core product that is your first product, that's what you started with, that takes you know, like you said, you need to build out a whole new supply chain and operations, you know, muscle. I'm curious about the process and how you kind of landed on what you ended up doing. You know, how, who did you consult? How did you think about it? How did you kind of, you know, map out what you wanted that to be? Because I do think people are trying to figure out innovation in general, and that could be helpful. And then the second part, which we'll get to is, you know, emotionally, that's kind of scary, discontinuing everything and kind of starting new. So let's talk first about sort of, you know, uh, operationally pivoting and and sort of the steps there and how you broke it down. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this might be very confusing. <laughs> so mm, I have. I, mean, I have. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's CPG, right? So it's got to be. Yep, um, exactly. But, uh, so I launched with these tubs of dough, right, in Canada. I built out my, I guess my whole business for the first two years was just D2C. So I just sold this perishable cookie dough online and it brought so many problems. Um, people putting in the wrong address and being left out in mm-hmm. the driveway or the sun. And then going they write back. you like, it, it got oh. warm and you're like, I'm sorry, you weren't home for three days. Like, I know, like, I know. Sure. Yeah. 
so yeah. bad. And I would do local deliveries and people wouldn't give me like the number of their unit and there'd be like 10 different units and I'd go knock on every door. It was just mm-hmm, like so mm-hmm. horrible. So, That's not um, terrible. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but uh, so we decided, okay, like, especially after COVID, there was this huge D to C wave. And then mm-hmm. after like in 2022, even towards the end of 2021, it kind of slowed down because everyone was yep. going back out into the real world and grocery shopping and retail was picking back up. So I thought, okay, let's bring this perishable product to retail in Canada and grow and launch it into like a hundred stores, see how it performs. Um, I'll do a crap ton of demos, get feedback and everything. So that's what we did. We partnered with a distributor. I have a manufacturer, got it into a hundred stores, spent 40 plus hours doing demos, got very honest (laughs) feedback from customers Mm -hmm. um, and nothing humbles you quite like a bad demo day. (laughs) Yeah. My mother's chimichurri is so much better than this. And I'm like, I'm that, that's awesome for your mom. And like, thank you for the, like, I don't even, you know, I got, you get the shit kicked out of you, but (laughs) then you get one person being like, this is amazing. And you're like, yay, it's all worth it. And now I'm valuable as a human. Yeah. 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 So you did all the demos. You're in a hundred stores. Yeah. And I said no to going into any more because I thought, okay, it needs to sell in these stores. And if it doesn't sell, then it's not going to sell in 500. So let's just say Mm -hmm. no to all the other stores and just focus on these stores. And then I found that in many of the stores, it wasn't merchandise in the right spot of the store. Instead of being Mm -hmm. in natural, it was in dairy next to regular cookie dough and it shouldn't have been Mm -hmm. there. And um, but again, like I'm not going to argue with buyers if they want to list the product. I'm like, by all means, this is what I recommend. But if you yep. want to put me there, then you put yeah, me there. We have and no we'll, control. We'll, yep. Yeah, we'll revisit it. And sure enough, it wasn't performing in that set. So um, I found that the serving size was too big, the price was too high on shelf. Like there were just mm-hmm. all these things that were working against me. So I took all of that feedback and I made the, the decision to completely um, scrap that whole product line. And we're in the process, like in the next month, we're replacing that with a new single serve, like cookie dough bites. They're still refrigerated, but it's just going to be in retail in Canada. Um, Mm. And the price is lower. The ingredients are cleaner. People understand how to eat them. The copy on the packaging is different. Basically, just everything that I learned from the customers, Mm -hmm. I just implemented that. And it was expensive and it was hard. And it was a little frustrating to, you know, scrap something that I spent so long building, but it didn't work in retail the same way that it worked online. And you have to do what makes sense for the business. And, you know, like we couldn't get the tubs to sell. So have to make something new that's going to sell, get those numbers that the retailers want. And then you can scale it into more stores because you'd rather have 100 doors and be doing really good velocity than being a thousand doors and be doing shit velocity and not selling. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just learning to go slow and appreciate that. And that's what's happening with Canada and then us. Um, my good friend, we've, we've actually met each other on LinkedIn. Um, he's a cookie <laughs> manufacturer and I thought, Oh, you know, like what makes the most sense? Um, I had another person reach out through LinkedIn and I was helping him with his social media and he has built several businesses um, he's been in CPG. He's super knowledgeable um, at scaling and exiting companies. Mm-hmm. And he had told me, he's like, I will come on as an advisor if you figure out how to bridge the gap and create and sell a shelf-stable product in the U.S. Because that's right. the majority of your followers and you can't get product to them. So how do you how do you connect that? So mm-hmm. um, I went, like I flew down to Texas where the manufacturer is. We were in R&D and 
we're getting packaging finalized now and just a new website and I guess trying to make that transition. So I have kind of two different things happening right now and it's a little much right. if I'm being honest. Yeah. I'm kind of biting off more than I can chew, but no, it's I get just, that. Yeah, you know, it like makes the most sense for the company. And I'm also learning to even as exciting as it is to get a new product out there, I just really wanna make sure that I'm doing things right. Like the copy mm-hmm. on the packaging, like the color mm-hmm. scheme, the logo side, like all these little things, they they really have um an effect not so much on d2c it's not the same as retail yep um yep. but with retail like i've learned okay like we're gonna do things right we're gonna go really slow and i wanted to launch this product a lot sooner but you know things take time yeah. you know i had <laughs> i had sprinkles yeah. sent to me that were supposed to be used for a plant trial and someone had stolen them off my porch and my roommate was going to the gym and she's walking down the street and she saw sprinkles all over the road. <laughs> oh no. I mean, that's good content, but very, very, it's like spilt milk. It's like liquid gold. But so you said something I want to ask about, are you going to have two separate websites then, or is it going to be one website and you kind of have a different place to go if you're in Canada versus if you're in the U S yeah, so I think there's just going to be one website for now because um, eventually I do plan to launch the – and I don't know where where the future will take me or what will happen, but depending on how well the Dough Bites do on store, um, like in retail, we'll probably launch those into the U.S. I'll yeah, focus on Canada first. Right. So, yeah, so we'll have like the website and then it can be like you can buy the cookies here um, and then you can find our Dough Bites in store and then we'll have a store locator and it'll just have the locations that we're in. Yeah, the way that my team and I talk about it, because we're launching a shelf-stable product at the end of the year, and it's similar, like, I mean, it's, believe me, like, woo-hoo. I'm like, (laughs) people have been saying, like, end caps and shippers and samples and smaller pouches, and I'm like, I cry, basically, just thinking of the, like, the potential, Um, and it's also you know, I still, we still are, you know, building out our fresh business and it's, it's going quite nicely. It's, you know, it's just fresh distribution in general is, has its challenges, but, you know, we took a good look at our website and our content and now, you know, we've been sort of a one product brand and now we're going to be a platform of multi-products and they they make sense. They all fit within the same brand umbrella. There's an absolute there there. And it's also kind of like I feel like running a relay race where there's a minute where the baton is being held by both both people. Kind of, you know, it's like that handoff a little bit time between runner A and runner B. A lot can happen in that little time. And it can get dropped pretty quickly and easily because we're working on two very different businesses almost at the same time. You know, Mm -hmm. they get stored differently. They get shipped differently. They are in different places of the store. There's the messaging is a little different, you know, and, and it's there, it, it does feel like a lot, you know, and it feels, but it also feels necessary. And Mm -hmm. I think if you, you know, if you're in fresh, I don't know about frozen because I, I think I have a lot of friends that have really good experience in frozen. I think if you're in perishable, 
it's very hard right now to build, you know, a, a big, big tens of millions of dollar business just in fresh, at, at least in my category. And when I say my category, similar to you, you know, anyone who listens to this knows like, Sometimes we're in the butcher, sometimes we're in dairy, sometimes we're in produce, sometimes we're in vegan, sometimes we're in, you know, there isn't really even like an exact home for us in fresh, whereas like in the shelf stable, it's going to go in the same part of every store. But this time, this like in between six months, while we're doing one thing, but we're also planning this launch of another thing does feel very complicated. And so how are you keeping, how are you keeping it from feeling too overwhelming for yourself? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I could use some help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too, girl. Um, Yeah, I don't, honestly, I just, I try to have like non-negotiables and I let like, it's like the little things that make me feel good, like working out and, you know, taking a day off a week and spending time with friends Mm -hmm. and trying to keep that going. Um, and then just, you know, like at the end of the day being like, no matter what happens, I'm healthy. I'm mm-hmm. really grateful. It's like practicing gratitude. Cause I think mm-hmm. if I let my mind wander too much and I think about like all the crap that I have to do and you know, um, it's, yeah. there's just so much happening. And then you go down the path of like, well, what if this doesn't work? And I work so hard yeah. to do this. Or like, what if this goes mm-hmm. wrong or so expensive, like delisting products mm-hmm. and realistic new ones. I'm like, am I going to have to pay listing fees again? Like there's all these things that yeah. come up. Um, but I think just like appreciating what's happening and taking it day by day is like really important. And then I try to like have a list, like every day I have like a power list of like five things. I'm like, I'm going to do these five things. And when I'm done with them, I can do whatever I want with the rest of my day, whether mm. it be maybe I do want to go do emails or maybe I want to, I don't know, um, read a book like or a whatever. List. Yeah. Cause I think if you try to tack on too much on your to-do list, you just get overwhelmed and you don't do anything or you feel like you haven't, um, you haven't achieved anything. If you don't do all of it, you almost feel like you yeah. let yourself down. You're like, man, I should have done this. I should have done this. And obviously there's shit that comes up too. Like, um, I had, um, I miscounted inventory and I was, I'm trying to sell through all my current inventory on the website and mm-hmm. all these orders went through and these customers ordered product that we didn't have, you know, mm-hmm. stock of. So mm-hmm. I have to go and, you know, like go and email all of them and then email the 3PL and then get all of that resolved. And it, you know, interrupted the workflow that I had going like that day. So yep. I think like give yourself some grace too, right? Like stuff's going to come yep. up and better to you know handle things and do things um and take care of yourself than like rush everything and burn yourself out and yep that's the way that I look at it right yeah no it's funny because remember the original question was like logistics and then emotionally and then we Mm -hmm. basically just got straight into emotionally (laughs) without even (laughs) having to like ask the question again because I think for founders I mean it's it's completely intertwined you know I was Mm -hmm. I was at dinner with someone and she doesn't work in, you know, she works in clothing and she said something about, it's interesting working for like a founder led business. And I was like, tell me about that. You know, I'd like to hear more about that. I think I kind of know I'm kind of self-aware at this point, but, um, (laughs) and she just said like, it's just, it's what, it's just, everything is personal. Everything is personal, you know, working with an R and D team who doesn't understand 
what you're going for. That feels personal. People, you know, not taking it on their shelves because, you know, who knows? There's not enough space, whatever, no category there. Feels personal. People on the team, you know, with their different perspectives, it can feel personal. Um, So there really is no difference a lot of times between what are the actual functional steps versus like, how are we handling it emotionally? But I do really like sort of the, the outlook, obviously the power list is helpful. Um, I want to go back a little bit to the, to the content and I'd love to understand, you know, you, at first it was really TikTok, right? That was sort of where it all started. Is that right? Yeah, I think like, um, TikTok, I did, I started TikTok about a year after I started posting on LinkedIn. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah. So it came after, but the growth of TikTok was substantially quicker than LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. TikTok had a moment where just, you know, if you hit the stride, right, you just, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you could get up there. I think it maybe not as much the case anymore. Um, but in terms of the kind of content, like, are you speaking more to potential consumers on TikTok and sort of potential network who also might be consumers on LinkedIn? Do you see it as the same? Is the content different? I don't have TikTok, so I don't know what your content is on TikTok, <laughs> but is it, um, would you say it's the same? Are you thinking about it? per channel in a little bit, or are you just thinking about this is what I want to say and it's going everywhere? Yeah. So every platform's different. And I think like, obviously on LinkedIn, I have mostly the people that follow me are founders and I try to mm-hmm. add value there and provide a mm-hmm. lot of like, you know, this is a failure that I went through and this is what you shouldn't do. And these are the things that I did after this, you know, I try mm-hmm. to, um, put all of the knowledge out there that I've kind of accumulated over the past three years of building Brodo. And then on TikTok, it's kind of, um, I look at TikTok as an entertainment app. So people usually go mm-hmm. there um, after work or on their lunch or, you know, to kill some time and they just want to like shut their brain off a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when you go and throw on a reality show or you're watching mm-hmm. Netflix or a movie or something. So, totally. um, and the majority of people that follow me there, they're not, you know, founders. Like there are some mm-hmm. that are founders, but majority are just, you know, um, millennials or Gen Z's and they're just looking for, um, like humorous content or, um, like I try to like add in some information about the product there, but people don't like being sold to. And I found that right. the less that I talk about my product, the more that it sells and the more interest and the better the views and engagement is because mm-hmm. people want to go and discover on their own. If they're interested, they'll go and figure out what you do. You don't need to tell them. So um, mm-hmm. I would just talk about like the problem I'm solving, you know, like we all grew up eating cookie dough and I would eat so much that I got sick and, you know, you're not supposed to eat raw flour and um, kind of talking about that and putting a spin on it and making it fun and relatable. And then also like the storytelling piece and people get to see the behind the scenes of like building a business because mm-hmm. not something that you really see every day. Like you see all these products on shelves, but you don't really know how they get there and you don't know the struggles right. and the adversity that it takes to get there. So um, I think layering that in um, has really helped too. And I try to do that on both platforms, LinkedIn and TikTok. And then in terms of like the lessons you teach, I mean, this is not something, this almost feels like 
you know, I can give you singing lessons, but if you kind of don't have a good voice, I'm probably not going to get you to <laughs> like be, you know, on America's Got Talent, right? So <laughs> there, there seems to be this like talent, skill, you know, there are people who are just really, really like really good at the social stuff. And, you know, I, then you put me on TikTok and I'm like, hello, TikTok. <laughs> like I'm, ter- I'm just, it's embarrassing. So my whole team is like, let's just keep her over here. Um, what, I mean, what are you, I'm, obviously you're not going to give away the course on this podcast, but what are some of the things that you teach? What are some of the things that people think might be unteachable, um, but that you've actually figured out a way to help, you know, Mm -hmm. if I came to you, I would be like, here's the deal. I'm very awkward on camera. I'm 51. I, you know, I'm like not, I'm, I think I'm funny, but you know, not necessarily (laughs) performative funny. Like what, how can you make me into like how can you take this like lump of clay and make it into a pretty sculpture yeah so I have had people come to me um who they ask me they're like how are you so comfortable on camera or like I'm so awkward or I hate being on camera or they're like how do I build a really loyal following who love me and know me but I don't I don't do anything on camera. <laughs> I'm like, well, uh, right. it doesn't That's really work happen. like that. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you can't really clone yourself, but um, that mm-hmm. would be great. Uh, I would mm-hmm. say like, honestly, for me, it's just one of those things you have to, like, you're going to suck at before you get good at it. And I go and I look mm-hmm. back at old videos that I had and I'm just like, Oh God, you know, and right. I'm sure they're not that bad, but from like me, like looking at it and we're all yeah. our own worst critics, right? Like it's, you go and see like the top motivational speakers in the world and then they, their first, I guess, um, speaking mm-hmm. events or speaking gigs, they look back and they're like, Oh, it was so horrible. And they beat themselves up. And then here I am like looking at that, like, wow, that was amazing. I'm so inspired. And you know, mm-hmm. um, I think people are just too hard on themselves. So I just say like, get in front of the camera, get on zoom more, FaceTime your friends and family more, just get comfortable speaking um and talk to like the person who's behind the camera like it's your friend like Mm one-on-one like it doesn't need to be like don't need to overthink it um just do it and then post stuff and don't rewatch it like if you're about Mm -hmm. to post something don't watch it over and over and over again because you're never Mm going to watch it you're going to find so many little things to pick at and then you're going to talk yourself out of posting it so I always tell people it's better to put stuff out there than nothing at all because if you're going to wait to put out perfect content you're never going to put out anything and yeah. Even with me, it's, it's, I always say it's like throwing spaghetti at a wall. Like some videos are going to flop and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that did so bad. I put so much time and effort into that. And then some are going to do really well. And you might wonder why did that do well? I don't really understand it, but things <laughs> are very unpredictable with platforms like that and the way the algorithm works. Um, right. And I remember like I, you know, it took time for me to get views and build a following on TikTok and I was posting every day. And I remember t- like making one video and it took so much time and it got three likes and then someone commented they're like damn three likes that's rough and I read that and thought <laughs> wow that really hurt but then I kept posting and then you know now we're right. at 200,000 followers so it's like you just yep. have to keep showing up and um again like don't overthink it and for like founders who have a story to tell like 
just be real. Like you don't need to like put on a face and pretend to be someone you're not. Like you don't have to right. be funny if you're not, if you don't think you're funny or you're you don't want to like act a certain way. You don't have to. Right. Um, you can like use different. Like I tell people, go in the app and like just get comfortable using the the, the tools in there. You can use a green screen and have like pictures of like you know from your startup days and kind of tell a story mm-hmm. about it. And um, it's just like little things like that you can just put out in to TikTok and run with it and then keep posting stuff like that. Yeah. I I mean, that's super helpful. And in terms of like what you were talking about, you mentioned before, you know, you said DMing people or, you know, I, you know, sending them little notes and sending them little videos and, you know, things like that. You know, I'll give you an example. We have an SMS channel that we love and it's, you know, it's a very intimate connection with our community people who opt in and give us their cell phone number are a very special bunch and we're very careful. You know, we're never going to, you know, spam them. We're never going to try to get them to buy anything. It really is about, you know, building a relationship with them and helping them cook their dinner. So Mm -hmm. it's been doing really, really well. And Maddie on our team, you know, she writes, you know, a hundred, sometimes more, DMs to people who write back to the text or, you know, we'll ask, what are you making for dinner? And they'll take pictures of their salmon with our sauce. And Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, they send us these like Haven's Kitchen chimichurri and, you know, steak or how, look how I used, by the way, it's so weird that you just texted. I'm using the tahini, right? I mean, it's really cool. (laughs) And, you know, it makes us, it, it gives me just that, that like super joy feeling that I felt very early on. And, you know, I'm, I still also, and then Maddie writes back or she'd be like, did you try this? Or, but that's, you know, it's a, it's a hundred people. You're DMing them back and forth and back and forth. It's a lot. And to use your word, it's not scalable. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think what we're, you know, we're, she's happy to do it. It actually can be great because we're learning, you know, a lot of people eat broccoli, a lot of people like broccoli. There are things that like we learn and what time do people start making their dinner and all these things that are actually helpful. And, but at some point it's like, you have to let the chicken kind of run on its own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good analogy, but you know how like <laughs> baby giraffes are like, they're kind of like, they're not quite able to stand up. And then all of a sudden they stand and they walk away. Like mm-hmm. what, where do you think, is there a point at which you feel like, okay, the brand will be able to not have this level of intimacy or are you worried about losing that level of intimacy and seeing a dip or are you thinking about ways to, you know, use AI or whatever it is to scale the intimacy in some way or another? Like, what's your thought, I guess, on scaling this type of one-to-one consumer relationship? Mm-hmm. I think I want to keep that small business feel even when I'm a big business because mm. me as like when I put my consumer hat on and I purchase from companies and there's one company in particular that does a really incredible job of doing this. And it's first form. They're like a, they do supplements, they do like protein bars, energy drinks, apparel, 
Um, they're based in the US, but mm-hmm. the founder himself, he takes time out of his day to like an hour or something every day to respond to customers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a billion dollar company. So they've oh, done wow. a really so good job at scalable. doing that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they like you order something from there and you get a handwritten note and it's not like a generic pre-written notes. Like they're actually like made specifically for you and what you ordered. So mm. that's something that I love. And I know that that goes such a long way. Um, because when I was doing that, when I started the business, like, you know, word of mouth is really powerful. And I think people underestimate how far it can go whether it be mm-hmm. you sending a handwritten note or you sending a customer like a video directly, you know, of you being like, thank you so much for ordering, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to tell someone and then maybe they're going to tell someone and then maybe they'll order yeah. and then they'll post on their Instagram or it just starts with mm-hmm. one customer and then it can accelerate from there. And yeah. I think if you can try to find a way to still keep that feel as you grow right. and like slowly bring in the pieces as you need to when you start growing, um, it's worth it. I think in my opinion, yeah. even for me, like, I mean, I've been knee deep in product development, but once we have product that we're selling, I want to get back to spending time every day to just like message a handful of customers or, um, you know, even like I just have, like I hired a, a full-time employee not too long ago. And whenever someone follows us on Instagram, we make an effort to go to their page like or comment on one of their photos and maybe she shoot them a message and say like thank you so much for following us da 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 mm-hmm. um your dog molly is so cute like you know mm-hmm. like add something, something in there and they're and they're like oh my gosh that's so cool like you know like they they remember mm-hmm. that and yeah it's even like yeah like even if you're not getting the roa right now down the road mm-hmm. maybe that person's going to be in the grocery store and see our product and be like oh my god they messaged me i'm gonna buy this and yeah. then maybe they keep buying it. And there you go. You yeah. just created a, a lifelong customer. So um, no, and I really like that perspective because, you know, yeah. it is very easy to say it's not scalable, but I think, you know, what I'm hearing you say is it actually is scalable. It's just a question of if you're putting resources toward it. Totally. Right? Like, and if it's a priority you know, too, right, some people right. don't really think about that and they're like, okay, I'm just going to throw more money at ads or, you know, yeah. um, yeah, like scheduling tools and AI and all that stuff is great. They're tools, right? But how can you, and I think that's what makes these businesses that do these personable touches stand out so much. And mm-hmm. um, it keeps me coming back because I'm like, wow, I never experienced this. Where else am I going to get yep. this? Nowhere. Yep. So I'm going to keep going here. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I totally way. get it. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm, I just got the title for the episode. I always, I never title them until I'm like recording and then I'm like, blah, blah, blah. so I'm writing it down before I forget. Um, okay. So, and everyone who's listening will know it because it will be the name of the episode, but I'm not going to say it for some reason. Now. It's a secret it's for me. My mind. <laughs> Super secret. And because I might change my mind, who knows? Um, okay. okay. <laughs> we got the goods. Um, this, this goods. sounds good. Um, I don't know, Kyle. I'm curious how you started it. There's one piece of it that's very attractive to me, but also makes me like my heart like a little like nervous feeling, which is these anonymous submissions. Um, So I want to hear about We Got the Goods. I want to hear what the impetus is and tell me about the anonymous submissions piece. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm at Kyle on LinkedIn, <laughs> like uh, a year or two ago. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a common theme here, but, uh, yeah, so he, he actually had a ice cream company and he decided to shut it down. Um, I think back in 2021 or early 2022. Mm-hmm. 
and then he got hired at Nestle and he's been there for like, I think a year. Um, and we were going to start a podcast together and he's like, you know, like we vibe, why don't we start something together? So we hopped on a zoom call mm-hmm. and we were supposed to be on a call for an hour and ended up being like a five and a half hour long <laughs> zoom call. <laughs> Just, uh-huh. When you put two founders on a call and then we ended uh-huh. up like, we started with a podcast and then at the end of the call, we had like built an entirely different business. We're like, okay, right. this is the first thing we're going to do. Then we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it started uh-huh. with a newsletter. So um, we want to build like a media company, um, but we want to be a little bit different than like what is out there um, and kind of have like a more edgy, unbuttoned feel because there really isn't yes. anything like that in the CPG space. So we're kind of like, no. what's that? What's that reality TV one? What's that one that my my daughters look at and it's like so-and-so was spotted with so-and-so or it's like um, as it's like the first people that report people send submissions when they see like Selena Gomez and a new guy or like, do you know what I'm talking about? It's called something. Again, oh, no, I, I understand the concept of it. Yes. That's really interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they have it for like celebrities. I think they have it for the fashion world too, but they don't have it for food. I mean, we're okay. such a weird hokey business anyway, that this is going to be very <laughs> funny to watch, but hokey. so, well, you know what I mean? Like we're, it's yeah, it. like the grocery it. store world compared <laughs> to like the high fashion sexy world. It's just, there's an irony to it that I think is very funny. I often think like a reality television about our industry, like would be very funny. It might be not funny to anyone except (laughs) us, you know, but anyway. Um, so go on. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be a newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. So we launched this newsletter um, and we kind of did some research and looked at all the other newsletters that are out there and they're really great, but we like want to be more entertaining, less educational. So mm-hmm. we are experimenting with all of these different columns. So it's kind of like newspaper style. That's what we kind of started with. And then we're like, okay, maybe we should like pivot a little bit and just have like different sections. So um, we added in like a peak Peak and peaks and valleys part where we like interview mm-hmm. a founder and they talk about like the high of like their journey and then the low um and they get some exposure on there we have like a what's mm-hmm. new space where founders can submit um and then we'll actually feature them in there we want it to be more inclusive where people can actually you know be a part of the newsletter and be featured in it um mm-hmm. and then the the last piece that we added in there and you know i think people are a little scared to submit but it's the gossip oh. column <laughs> yes. That's why I like, I'm like my, I might like, I felt myself starting to sweat even saying it because, you know, it's like, it's that feeling again of like, uh Oh, you know, I, I, you know, Uh-oh, am I yeah. allowed to talk about this or, you know, any of that <laughs> stuff, but yes. So are people submitting? Mm, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> they are, but there's some stuff that we can't share. Um, me and Kyle are getting a laugh out of some of the things that we're getting. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> but, but is I so mean, funny. Yeah, it's, there's some stuff where it's like, okay, we just we want it to be entertaining, but we don't want it to be mean. We don't want to like, mean. you know, right. have you yeah. know, be specific to a person or a company or you know, cause right. damage or hurt to anyone. Like that's not our intention with it. We just want it to be like a place where you can have like a laugh or you can share like a relatable story in right. there or maybe like. I don't know, like you were dating your co-founder and then something happened or, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. 
like I, for example, like um, I put my sprinkle story in there and right. that was just something that was like, it's lighthearted. It's fun. Maybe people will get a laugh out of it. Um, right. So we have, we've had some, we've had some like people submit. Um, I think the first one we featured was someone posted about um, a, a rant um, about investors and what it's like having investors and they think, you know, they can come in and do whatever they want because they give you money mm-hmm. and they, you know, like, like a babysitter, mm-hmm. essentially, like that's kind of, right. you could feel the pain that the founder had writing it. Um, so it's also like an outlet too, where people can maybe just like vent a little bit. Um, yeah. There's more, that dear sugar column. Level. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like where you go to just like get it all out. Um, so how do people sign up for, we got the goods before we go? Yeah, so our website is wegotthegoods.co, not com, because that's taken, so don't go there. <laughs> you can sign okay. up. And then we're actually going to be launching a um, like a referral rewards program. So if you get people to sign up, we're actually going to send you CPG products that are going to be sent in by brands who are sponsoring us. So oh, cool. um, that's a whole other fun reason to yeah. sign up and see what's coming. Yeah. So yeah. Totally. Well, I already signed up. I signed up this weekend. So amazing. Thank you. (laughs) I'm in there. Um, Erica, I thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your whole journey with all of us. You know, this is a, I say it all the time, but it is a crazy business and we really do need community and we need people to be vulnerable and we need, you know, some honest voices in there. So on behalf of all of us, a big thank you to you. Oh, thank you, Allie. I appreciate that. And Liam, thank you for engineering um, this week. As always, uh, we couldn't do this without you. I would not, <laughs> I'd record something maybe, but no one would ever hear it if I didn't have Liam. So <laughs> thank goodness for him and Heritage Radio Network. And um, I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.